0: welcome to the animation industry podcast my name is terry and for the past few months i put school on hold and i've been working as a full-time stop motion animator at the new stupid buddy studios in toronto this chat is with 25 year old award-winning motion graphic designer and animator from the uk william marler who specializes in awesome 2D animation and is a super fan of Pixar. And in our chat, he's gonna share how he's managed to build a full-time career doing freelance from home and how he's picked up clients like Matt Parker, Tom Scott, and the BBC. Plus on top of this, he's gonna share a framework he's developed for when it is profitable for you to take on work for something other than money including the only time you should do animation work for exposure, and he calls this the six currencies. So be sure to listen in for that because I found it quite interesting and helpful in my own pursuit of animation gigs myself. So now without further ado, let's just jump right in. I will. Thank you so much for coming on the chat. How are you today? How are you doing? Excellent. How are you? I'm doing fine. Um, So we're going to chat about how to make a living doing animation and and to be happy with that living at the same time. <laughs> um, so let's go back, let's roll it back to the start. How did you stumble into this wonderful field industry yourself? So I
1: was born in 1995, which is the year that Toy Story came out in America. So I was very much sort of a, you know, I grew up on Pixar very much being sort of part of my formative years. Um, so I watched obviously the Toy Story films but then um, In- The Incredibles came out when I was about nine so getting more to a point where I can you know um, appreciate that film for it just being other than just a, you know a collection of shapes and colours and you know sounds on the screen um, and I adored Pixar from, from that sort of age and then when I was uh, for my 10th birthday I got a My first mobile phone with a camera on it, it was a Sony Ericsson with a sort of a screen that you didn't flip up like a sort of, you know, one of those old flip phones. You got a phone
0: for your 10th birthday?
1: (laughs) I did. But this is the cool (laughs) part, right?
0: 2005?
1: (laughs) Yeah. The the screen, right? This is how funky the 2000s were. The screen didn't flip up like a sort of Motorola RAZR or whatever. It twisted up.
0: I mean oh my gosh I think I know what you're talking about kid on
1: the playground for about 10 minutes I Um, I got
0: my first phone in 2007 and like I felt like I was an early mover so you were you were at the top of the game back then
1: well yeah I was was, like I say I was the sort of top of my class the most popular kid in school for about 10 minutes and then yeah
0: Um, I'm also I'm also curious just let me let me just interrupt you (laughs) so um uh 1995 Toy Story came out I was already seven and I saw it and I thought it was like the best thing in the world but you were you grew up from like zero watching it over and over again so was it was it still as impactful to you or was it like me growing up watching Bugs Bunny and just being like this is a part of the animation scene it's entertaining but it's not blowing my mind because I've seen it since I was born type of thing um was Toy Story for that like Uh for that
1: yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I've always said, and this is um, sometimes a bit of an unpopular opinion, I've always said that Toy Story Two is the best Toy Story film out of the four that now exist. Toy Story, and I think partly because by the time that Toy Story Two came out, I was a little bit older, or by the time we got it on VHS and whatever, I was a little bit older. It's the one that I um, I watched over and over and over again. It's like the Toy Story film I remember from my childhood. Um, I had the PS1 game. Um, I had like CD-ROMs for the the PC and all that sort of stuff. Um, And and I think also the thing with Toy Story is there's always like a bit of a bias with Toy Story because of the fact it's the first Toy Story film, it's the first Pixar film. So inevitably when you watch it again with sort of fresh eyes where you're old enough to appreciate it, you are a bit like, you know, there are bits that are, you know, obviously a bit, clunky or a bit sort of they're finding their feet and all that sort of stuff okay Um, okay so yeah I think like I say the Incredibles was probably where I got to that point where I was able to watch it you know and sort of be excited about a storyline and, and be excited about things like the music. And I remember I saw the trailer, the little teaser trailer for the Incredibles on the Finding Nemo DVD. So I felt like I was one of the first people in the world to know about the Incredibles, which is obviously complete rubbish, but you know, you sort of <laughs> feel you got this insider knowledge because I saw it on the Finding Nemo DVD. So when it came out in cinemas, it was like, Oh yeah, I've known about that for, for, uh, you know, a year or so. Um, and I remember actually I, I saw the Incredibles With my whole family, my mum is a nurse and she came home from her job at the hospital having done a whole sort of 12-hour shift. Um, She came straight from work to see it with us at the cinema, which is sort of quite fitting because The Incredibles is obviously a story all about sort of the family all coming together. And there's a sort of really nice symmetry to that which which is really meaningful to me um, but yeah so going back to getting my yeah, first back, phone, back to the flip phone related flip to phone. um so that is the first time i ever had a camera at my you know immediate disposal so um i was filming random little clips of my friend editing them on the you know um video editor on the phone which was the most rudimentary editor in the world but just little things like one of them uh, that I did with my friend Matt would be um, running around doing sort of spy moves or something. He would do like tumble rolls and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, right, I'm going to put the Mission Impossible theme underneath it. You know, there's sort of quirky videos that you do and you think you're the coolest person in the world just because <laughs> you've got this sort of soundtrack beneath you. Um And then that moved into sort of making webcam videos. I was actually on YouTube making videos at the age of uh, probably about 10 or 11. And I got a, there was a YouTuber that took one of my videos and put, bearing in mind, like I say, I was about 10 or 11, but I got a, a, a YouTube video made about me where they took one of my videos Re- replace the soundtrack with a song called i take drugs right which is you know and and, and the i think the um title was called something like uh, i think it was toronto 979 which was my tag um takes drugs and bear in mind like i say i was like a 10 or 11 year old and this random person from you know the internet was taking the mick out of me and the funny thing is, because I've got a, I've got a health condition, I I just sort of took it literally, and I was like, yeah, I do take drugs. What's you know, oh, what's yeah. your point? Um, <laughs> but I got YouTuber hate back in two thousand and six. Um, you know, like at the age of ten or eleven or so. Um, but yeah, so I started off making these videos, and then turned into webcam videos. And then I got camera and all that sort of stuff, upgraded video editing software, um, and then. I got Sony Vegas, which was something that I could do animation with as well. So I slowly started to learn um, that program, and then got into animation, and then got into graphic design through that, and went through like this quite organic journey from wanting to be a filmmaker when I was really ki- when I was really young, when I was a kid, um, wanting to be an animator, and then wanted to be a graphic designer, and then when I was at college, I went back to wanting to be an animator, and that's where I've sort of stuck with since the age of um 16 17 and that's where I am today at the age of 25.
0: Nice uh it's it's interesting for me to always hear how people ended up where they are today and it's it's like everybody has a completely different story but it's kind of driven by the same thing um would I be wrong to say that you were driven by storytelling at the start like you wanted to tell stories like you were or um I don't know tell me.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, um, I think the thing that I loved about Pixar as, you know, my early inspiration was these incredible worlds that you were taken to. Um, you know, they were very varied film each different is you know, an entirely new universe of characters and, you know, monsters and, and underwater and superheroes and, toys and you know it's just like a being taken to a brand new world and i did quite a lot of um quite a lot of animation sort of based around these sort of worlds or um often what i used to do when i was younger was try and recreate my own versions of tv shows that i liked Um, so there was a, a really niche british children's show back in the late 90s early 2000s called zap which was um a it was like a comic book that came to life um this kid's show it's like sketches of different characters um but i really enjoyed that when i was a kid and then rediscovered it when i was sort of um a young teenager and started to make my own sort of version of that with my you know filming my own myself as different characters and then doing the graphics and the editing i think one of the things that i actually was really drawn to other than just the worlds and storytelling and stuff is actually the the production process itself the sort of um the whole process of devising a concept of a something like a tv show or a film or a project or something like that and all the things that came with that and that's partly why you know i had such varied interests in filmmaking and animation and graphic design you know I I like to have um my fingers in a lot of pies as it were like you know thinking about the the branding or the script writing or the animation production itself or you know all these different things and we'll talk later about a project that I'm working on at the moment which I'm doing from scratch entirely myself which involves all these different things and even today when I do client projects I Often do them entirely on my own because I like doing all the different, you know, sides to a project.
0: So let's fast forward a bit and talk about how you actually got into the professional world of animation. Once you, you know, you you developed this organic love for it and then studied it in school. What were you? What was your first job, and how did you? How did you snag it? So
1: um, I actually. Yeah, I started doing freelance projects um, from quite an early age, really. Uh, around the age of fifteen, so when I was still at sort of secondary or high school, um, I started doing when I was this around the time when I was working in graphic design. Sort of, there's my interest. Um, just often stuff for friends, really. A friend of mine, a guy called Luke, um, wrote a book, did a self published book, a self published novel. Um, and he needed a cover you know cover spine and back cover uh, designed and he went to me and it was I can't remember exactly how much I got paid maybe like 20 quid or something 20 pounds and um that but that was still my first paid project and that was now nearly about 11 years ago um and then from there just odd little projects for people that my brother knew or um people at the school again a lot of them weren't paid stuff they were just you know doing stuff for the school helping out with um different advertising for events or or whatever it was but um, when I went to university that's when I started doing my sort of first proper paid animation jobs Um, and my first freelance job was for a guy called Riz, who um, was a recent graduate of the course that at that point I just enrolled in at Birmingham City University, the film and animation course. And it was a he was doing a music video for a local band um, for a song called "Eat the Poor," which was um, a sort of s- satirical take on like uh, political uh, figures, like the um, then Prime Minister of the UK, David Cameron, and uh, it was showing him in like a sort of dinosaur onesie um, playing around with a helicopter and a whole city, like almost like a playing Godzilla type thing, um, as a, you know, as this child, but also the prime minister. Um, and he needed some different bits doing, like rigging up. Um, I, I designed this toy helicopter in Adobe Illustrator and then rigged it up in After Effects so that you could control the propellers and the speed of the propellers and, you know, shoot, uh, have a thing that came out that shot some like Nerf gun style missiles and all that sort of stuff. But that was very much like a proper project where I was like, okay, there's a deadline to this. I'm working with someone else um, back and forth with revisions and stuff like that, as opposed to just sort of someone asking me to do something and, and it being a lot more informal this was my first proper project Um, and then from there going through university I just again did more odd jobs and different bits like that so uh, one of the great things about the course that I did was there was actually a marking sort of a, a, a part of the marking scheme that they marked you on which promoted you doing client projects so you could submit your client projects as long as you sort of talked about them in the same way that you talked about your main university work you breaking down the process and all the different you know sketches development and you know um evaluation and things you could get marked on those because it showed that you were doing st- It was called collaboration and enterprise because it was showing that you were doing things outside of you just your university course and that you're establishing yourself as a professional so the fact that that was promoted as part of my course and I was able to get you know marks for it it always felt like you know, it was still part of my journey at uni. Instead of having, oh, I had to balance this, or or I don't have time to do client work because I'm too busy with university work. You know, that was that was um, made Did to seem program like a really have good an idea.
0: Internship um, at the same time, or was this kind of in, instead of an internship? I guess
1: so. It wasn't actually sort of a formal thing it was sort of like well if you do get client projects then you know they can be marked on this um on this sort of marking uh section of the of the module um they did they didn't do an internship year like a formal okay this year is for you to get an internship um it was a lot a lot more informal with that and and you know that wasn't um some people want a different sort of thing from their course some people benefit from a strict like, okay, you've got to get a job now for this year. Um, But actually having the flexibility of doing my own personal projects and establishing myself as a freelancer.
0: So you, um, you were already kind of a freelancer Well, you were a freelancer for many years, even from high school. And you are now, but you had a couple of years in between where you decided to take uh, a studio job and and kind of uh, not go the freelance route. So I want to know why you decided to, to, go the nine to five and then why do you decided to get back to the to the freelance to the freelance life
1: well when I graduated university um in the UK at least uh, the sort of funding for universities meant that um I now have you know I've got my student debt and all that sort of stuff but it, from a sort of practical viewpoint I didn't actually need to pay for university in the same way, you know, you, you get a loan and all that sort of stuff. But I didn't actually necessarily see that money uh, apart, you know, you apply for the loan and then it immediately goes to your course and your you know your living and all that sort of stuff. So um and also my financial situation meant that I wasn't having to necessarily sort of balance a job in order to sort of fund my accommodation and all that sort of stuff. But as soon as I graduated from uni, I was I, I was aware that I was going to have to you know either I didn't want to move back in with my parents wanted to continue the journey of, of independence um, so I was going to look for a flat um, in uh, Birmingham where I was con- you know planning to continue to stay in the UK um, and obviously for that that comes with you know all sorts of bills and stuff that I don't have the funding for unless I just get a job and, and you know start working. So um, I knew at this point that that wasn't going to be covered by just doing client projects because um, I, the amount that I'd be able to get, but also the fact that um, it wouldn't be stable enough. Like there'd be, it'd be very bitty. There'd be some here and there, if any at all, because at this point, still the client projects I was getting at uni weren't. So reality
0: kicked you in the face and told you to get a job. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, (laughs)
1: um, and fate actually sort of was on my side at this point because um my tutor at uni um, emailed me saying that there's a local production company, uh, a place called Ember Television, um, that is looking for a, um, I think at that point it was just a three week, uh, sorry, three month internship or six week internship, something like that for, um, you know, new students. And uh, because someone was leaving and so they needed someone to rehire they weren't going to do like a full-time permanent contract but they were happy to do this um, you know more uh shorter term contract so I was like "Yep, that sounds great I went for the interview and they were happy to offer me the internship um and that after because of some sort of um logistical difficulties with securing the internship that then just turned into a normal they were just going to offer me a permanent position just as if you know they're hiring anyone else so that was again that was really lucky and um the fate of all that happening right at the point when I was starting to look for a job um close to graduating was you know the chance of that was really really lucky for me um and we, I'm sure we'll talk about this more as well but um it's one of those things where I was in the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but that actually was almost something that I was able to manufacture a little bit during uni, because the fact that I was the first person that my tutor thought of when they got this email saying that there was a position opening up. And then also, obviously, the going to the interview and and, you know, making them happy to hire me in the first place was obviously entirely my doing, but the actual circumstances of those things, those opportunities opening themselves up to me was something that I was totally out of my control and is entirely, you know, it's the fate of the gods
0: or whatever. Yeah, um, and I definitely want to chat about how you kind of manufacture your own luck, but uh, so, so you're working the studio life now um, it's paying your bills mm-hmm. and then you decide I want to go back to freelance is that because you built up enough freelance projects over the years
1: so it's a it's a combination of uh, you know as as is often the case with making big decisions like taking a job or leaving a job or changing your work situation it was a combination of lots of different factors um so uh the studio that i worked at ember television they did a lot of work for the financial industry. Uh, they were very sort of specific with their focus, and at first that was really interesting because it was a brand new area that I'd never done animation for. It feels like the sort of thing that you wouldn't necessarily um, associate with animation immersion motion graphics. So it felt like it was a it was a sort of fresh perspective, but also I thought. Oh, I could do, you know, the it, sort of these sort of animation, motion graphics examples in the financial industry sometimes can be very varied in terms of quality. So I thought I could do a lot better than a lot of other studios potentially are doing. Um, and it felt like a challenge as well. It felt like the sort of thing, you know, if my job is to make this interesting and to make it engaging, a subject that is often seen as either really complicated or really dreary and boring, then that's like challenge accepted. Um, so that was really great. But then over the time, I, find, I found that having that hyper focus from that studio and not really deviating much from, from any of those sort of types of clients, I just got, I needed a bit more of a fresh sort of re projects. Uh, another thing is that, as I mentioned earlier, very briefly, I've got a health condition, I've got cystic fibrosis. So with that comes a lot of different challenges in terms of, um, you know, maintaining my health and that's, you know, my fitness and uh, exercise routines and medicine and physiotherapy and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes it means I have to go to hospital for like top up um, stays of like two week um, antibiotics. And during one of those stays um, that I feel like was probably caused by having done a full time having had a full-time job for the very first time in my entire life for nine months you know nine to five Monday to Friday something that I've never really done before um, I think I sort of burned out a little bit and uh, you know physically mentally and so whilst I was in hospital I realised that actually this isn't working anymore for the reason of wanting to branch out and do other things but also for the reason of You know, it's clearly affecting my health and I need to have a lot more flexibility. So it was at that point that I decided I was going to go freelance. But it was also because I felt comfortable knowing that even if I went freelance, I probably would still be working with Ember Um, at the time. Another thing is that um, the types of because they did live action stuff as well. So a lot of their stuff was live action. The live action people were busy every day whereas the animation output wasn't always the same amount. So there were some times where I went into work and there just wasn't enough for me to be getting on with. But if I worked with them on a freelance basis, then it would mean that, you know, I'd be able to still do plenty of work with them over a you know course of a year, but also have time off where they don't need animation work and I can do other projects, find other clients. Gotcha. And I felt like I was in a position after being at ember as well that i knew you just pick up sort of certain business skills certain sort of client facing client discussion skills um how to how to market yourself so i picked up some of those sort of soft skills and felt like i can apply this to myself as a freelance i can start to really you know uh, attract new clients and i I just felt ready to take the plunge
0: so so even though the reason you took the job is because you didn't at the time you didn't think you could maintain, you know, paying bills and being out on your own with a freelance career, you reached a point where you felt you'd learned enough. Uh, you could feel comfortable kind of going out into the unknown, hashtag frozen too, I guess, um, and and make it and and kind of not look back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I just, I felt like I was ready. I mean, I was, I should say I'm also uh, you know uh, financially it, you know not everyone is in that situation if people yeah. live in paycheck to paycheck then it's just it, it's just the case for some people that they won't be able to take that risk.
0: So, t- um, so like when you're working at a studio you don't have to worry at least for the duration of that contract about where your work is coming from the, the studio yeah. producers owners whatever worry about that stuff. So yeah. now that you are on your own, how do you make sure you're getting in a constant stream of work for yourself versus like relying on somebody else? Like you said, you learned some marketing things. Like what, what do you what do you specifically do to make sure you have a stable freelance career?
1: Yeah, so um, I actually um, it's funny because you sort of expect that. Okay, that's going to be sort of going to, I don't know, at that point, because it was obviously three years before COVID, at that point, going to business conferences or networking events or whatever it is. I didn't actually really do any of that. Um, I stayed a lot more local, I suppose, Um aspect like connecting with people that i knew of and uh, i i made a lot of connection i did most of the work if anything of making connections and things when i was at university gotcha. um whenever there'd be sort of speakers from local studios come in i'd always be the one of the people to wait around afterwards and go up and talk to them and what, um, what do you
0: say you, when you talk to a speaker like i've always like i just say hey do you want to come on a podcast and that's my conversation starter yeah <laughs> like I don't. I feel really awkward and weird going up to a speaker and just being like, "Hi, I like that point what you said." My name is well, Terry. Like, yeah, I think it's just how can I, I how can I meet like, somebody and turn it into a business?
1: Well, I suppose it's just you know you you're not necessarily going into that conversation. I, th- I think if uh, some people can see that you're talking to them just to be able to give them your business card like a mile off like if if that's the only reason that you've approached them and that's all it is it's a bit like you know messaging someone on uh, instagram hey how are you it'd be great to catch up by the way have a look at this stuff that i've done recently like you have no intention of catching up with that person yeah. and they can probably tell similarly when you go to you know speak to go to uh, you know uh speaking event or something and you meet someone afterwards i don't know it's just just really making them feel like you were um, you enjoyed what they had to say. Like you say, maybe there's something there's a point that really resonated with you and um, maybe you've had a couple of minutes to mull it over. I mean, a lot of these people as well, because there's, you're not necessarily the only person going up to them, you might be waiting around for a little bit and that's the perfect opportunity to um, sort of have a think of what, what am I going to say, what am I going to tell them? Um, but to be honest, I think a lot of the time, you know some people they're just potentially interested in hearing what you what you're working on and you know just to say that you're working on something or oh I really liked your xyz this specific thing it's like when you um it's like when you apply for a job or something it really shows uh, um it you can show off a little bit by sort of mentioning something specific from their website a specific project or something like that that makes them feel like your your application email isn't just a copy paste that you're doing to everyone you're specifically going i have looked at your website here's the proof because uh, you know i watched this project similarly if there's an animator coming and often especially at uni these things get advertised in advance so you've got the opportunity maybe it's a week or it's even a day or something to at least go on their website have a look at a specific project you know you don't need to make notes or sort of write an essay or an yeah. analysis or of it or whatever but, but just do, to do watch some research it
0: and be, like, be familiar exactly. with their stuff. and then how do you how do you say i loved what you did on this it reminded me of my own work <laughs> that yeah, i'm doing um,
1: like <laughs> i suppose it's just i'm not a um I'm not a sort of, you know, networking expert yeah. at all. I think that you know, a lot of people will be able to offer specific step-by-step tips of how to speak to people. And I know that also the other thing is that a lot of people within the creative industry may have difficulties with sort of social anxiety and and i'm saying like yeah just go up to people and have a chat with them you know and they're like what you mean strangers that we we've never met you know as if it's the easiest thing in the world for a lot of people especially as they're growing up that is like the last thing that they want to do and it's it is a can be a very difficult sort of thing to to do um, but the more you do it the more the easier it will get um, but i think it's just the case of like i say just talking to them uh, not seeing them as as a sort of uh, you know dollar signs or something just seeing them as as a fellow animator just having a conversation like you would someone else that you've met that so
0: so you're goal... really remove
1: the opportunity sort of aspect from it entirely and then it might feel a bit more organic to mention something that you've right. been working on
0: so you, your goal with um specifically what we're talking about i guess is just walking up to people at conferences or networking <laughs> is to just connect with this person as a fellow animator with no strings attached and then if the opportunity comes up to just you know talk about it as a fellow animator and not try to sell yourself and make. yeah i think
1: because you know i think with a lot of these things it's almost like a little bit of the long game that um the more meaningful connections are probably going to come from people that you sort of make effort with as opposed to seeing people sort of just as an opportunity i suppose the way that i can sort of um rephrase it a little bit is imagine that you're in a position where you are a successful animator you've been working in the field for you know i don't know 10 15 20 years something like that you've got a brand new project come out brand new film or a new series or something happening that's really exciting and you've been invited to do one of these sort of talks and someone comes up to you afterwards and oh how great is it that all these people have waited around to speak to me this is really it means a lot someone comes up to you and you know you just can tell that they're only talking to you and the only reason they've hung around is because they want a job and it's not because they want a job with you because you're their idol or whatever it is it's because they just they want a job and they want any old job and this is an opportunity just I suppose having that empathy or that compassion to think how would that make me feel if I was in their position you know it might make me feel a bit cheap or a bit used or something you know that I think makes it feel a lot sort of better about the idea of playing that long game I I say playing the long game again as if it's you know that makes it sound like you know you're only forming these relationships for the for the purposes of getting something back but at least sort of I suppose making the effort or forming these connections because what I've the clients I've done I I don't sort of uh to have regular projects coming in it's not a case of reaching out to loads and loads of people and putting feelers out absolutely everywhere if anything it's about having lots of projects with a small number of clients Mm -hmm. but it's because I've formed a good relationship with these clients that I'm their go-to you know um animator instead of sort of being the one you know one person in a sea of many potentially that they could go to I'm potentially the only one or one of two or something like that and that's mainly what happens it's more about the quantity of projects with clients than the quantity of clients that I that has helped me establish you know over the past three years my freelance portfolio
0: that makes a lot of sense because like my immediate mind when thinking about freelance is like I need to reach out to every single studio person connection possible and try to get a hundred projects from a different st- from 100 different studios lined up so I've like confirmed work for the next year but your take is first, like
1: at first that is definitely necessary the point is, is to get, do that step step and one is to do is all of that
0: if you land a project uh turn it into a long-term relationship Is that... that, Yeah,
1: absolutely, because uh, step one is, you know, is to throw as much as you can at the wall and see what sticks sort of thing in that... Because you can't... Because at the end of the day, if you contact 100 different places, then a good sort of 80 of them may well not even get back to you and then, um, you know, may well just not be... Have any projects for you or anything like that. So immediately, a large percentage of the people that you contact just... You know aren't gonna go anywhere with you
0: know for you um I mean, and yeah that totally makes sense and like in my business career um when i was heading up the content side of the non or the software company that i was working at um i would hire writers and videographers to create content for us and um at the start i would try to always like you know i don't know how to say this in a bad way i wouldn't pay top dollar because <laughs> my experience was I need to find somebody that I want to build a relationship with. And it was really hard to do that because everybody, you know, there's websites where you can like hire writers, there's recommendations, there's agencies and stuff. And what I found was if I paid a lot of money up front, it the quality I got back was kind of random. It was like, this person is I like could instant. What I'm trying to say is it was very hard to find somebody to build a relationship with because a lot of the people that I went through were just seeing this as a one-time job, and just giving me this standard thing that wasn't really tailored to what I needed and wasn't didn't have like the special sauce, um, mm-hmm. and would move on. And I would move on too. But um, there were a couple people that I ended up really they wanted to like build a relationship with our company, and I ended up using them for many years, and would actually say like, "Hey, I want to pay you more this time. I want to keep paying you more because I really value your work and I want to work with you." And so. Uh, as the, on the business side of things, as the client, I wanted to have an easier life by having somebody who understood what we were building and I was fine, you know, just keep giving you work. So I guess my point is, um, I don't know what my point is. My point is it's better to build a relationship with a company and try to make them successful at the same time. Obviously you're not going to always get, um, I don't know, amazing pay or benefits or whatever back, but the people who are treating it like a one-time job—I only gave it to them that one time because I—I—I I, I could instantly tell that too. Is that making—is this making sense? I feel like yeah. This I is mean, like I jumbled up thoughts. It that just came out, and I it was not succinct.
1: I know someone that uh, went for a job interview um, that I uh, sort of recommended for him, and um, for a studio that I also was sort of you know um, associated with. For a bit and they didn't give him the job because he described his um sort of why he wanted to work there as um uh i can't remember the exact phrase but it was basically that he sort of said that he was um wanting to uh, exp- uh he was wanting to test the waters like he was basically he was sort of wanting to, like he didn't see it as a long term thing. Didn't, yeah. was, it felt like a sort of, you know, he wants to see what studio uh, is like, and that may well be the exact reason why you're wanting to become a full time studio animator because you want to. You're not entirely sure that it was the right thing, but um, you just want to see if that is the way that you prefer working than freelance. But you don't tell the person that, that you're sort of having the interview with, because you, like you said, you want, it's better to make people think that you're sort of there for, you know, the long term, again, even if you're not. With every client that I do a project with, I try and see the way that I can do the next project with them. I try and sort of spot opportunities for how something could be um, developed further or how this same type of project could be, done, repeated again for future things. So, for example, I do a I, um, before COVID, at least before they closed, um, I did a lot of work for the National Sea Life Centre uh, in the UK, and um, they had these campaigns uh, every now and then uh, for you know advertising campaigns, billboard campaigns, and with that would come a animated. Uh, advert sort of 10-15 seconds that was shown in the local um, uh, sort of city train station. Um, So it's these like portrait animated billboards, these video billboards. And I basically, my job was fairly simple in the sense of taking these Photoshop files um, for these ad campaigns directly from the uh, ad agency and um, animating them for this sort of 10 second, 15 second format. And I sort of then thought, okay, well, I've noticed that their social media presence is, it doesn't really link in with these campaigns. They're not, I don't feel like they're using them in the best way. And I mean, that format for a, um, you know, an ad campaign for, you know, moving billboard, that's the exact same format that could be used for Instagram stories. Mm. So I thought, well, you know, if you want for an extra X amount of, you know, pounds, I will then take what we've just done and create an Instagram friendly version for you and also an Instagram square format for you. And, you know, properly not just like squashing it down, you know, properly like making it look really nice for square format and for Instagram. There's a bit of tweaking you need to do for Instagram to make sure there's space for like the swipe up and the banner at the top that shows the account name and stuff. So I just thought, okay, you know, we've just done this project. Let's make this for your, um, you know, for your social media and Facebook and things like that. And they were really, you know, they thought it was a great idea. And that just became an extra step that I did whenever I did any, you know, whenever they came back to me for their new campaigns. So I was able to take one project, one job and turn it into about three, you know, mini jobs. Um, And again, that was something that was repeated as they came back with new campaigns. And obviously, there's there's certain caveats when it comes to that. Obviously, you've got to spot these opportunities, but you've also got to impress them the first time around anyway, because people aren't necessarily, like you've said, with people that you um, hired or worked with. If, you know, maybe you missed deadlines, or maybe the work that you do, you know, the projects that you did the first time around, I don't know, there was these little mistakes, or your attention to detail wasn't that great, or whatever it was then, you know, they might not be as keen to be like to, you know, allow you to ask for extra work or or to have these ideas of other things that you could work on. Whereas if you're like, look, I I smashed the first project, you know, you're really happy with that. I got it to you on time, uh, you know, really efficient then it makes them think oh this Facebook thing they could do that they can tick that off for, you know this person can take that off for our social media but I also know that they'll be able to deliver it really quickly yeah, and they'll do a really good job and it'll be you know we won't need to worry about amends and stuff like that as much obviously amends can come but not like amends of oh you spelled that incorrectly or you you know this is overlapping this and looks weird or whatever it is you know um little slip-ups so I think you've also got to put in the effort to really weld them the first time around and show that and again it's the little things those attention to detail things like just delivering on time or if for whatever reason you're not going to be able to deliver on time you know giving them a heads up and just instead of just on the day that you're meant to deliver saying oh by the way I'm running behind you know give them a couple of days if you can sort of warning um, so that's what I've been able to do to try and keep the clients that I found
0: I'm really, I've never really heard of this before. And it's so like, to me, it's so smart. I'm really digging this idea of saying like, Hey, I'm already doing this project for you. And then just doing a little digging on the company to see what other opportunities there might be. Maybe it's not social media. Maybe it's like a website banner or like, who knows, whatever. And then just making it your problem. Because like, thinking back to when I was heading up content, if I wanted to launch something on social media, I have to think through all this process myself I have to think who am I going to hire what am I going to put there but if somebody who's already doing the 15 second ads on train stations for me reaches out I don't have to think about that anymore it makes sense I'd rather just put up a little bit of money and say great now we have content that I don't have to worry about for social media Uh, (laughs) that's that's amazing And, and obviously like you're not killing yourself at work you can just take something your assets you already have and reformulate them a little bit for a little bit of extra but i think that's i think that's really smart and that's a key way to like build a longer term relationship because not only are you their video person now you're their go-to social media person so that I, i don't know if this happened but did they ever come to you and say like look we would like you to build xyz for social media separate from these train apps Yeah, that, and that's then, the exact
1: that exact thing happens. So, now you have double um, the work did, from them, right? And you did exactly. So I did didn't these have projects have to reach out to were, people. Exactly, I did these projects for uh, these train station billboards, and then um, there was projects that were specifically just for social media, so just for Instagram, just for Facebook, had no real world sort of um, you know place or, or sort of billboard equivalent. It was it was just for social media, but that was because we'd already talked about um, the uh, other things that um, w- you know we'd already had discussions about social media presence and and I'd done stuff you know part thinking about social media Facebook Instagram Twitter as part of the conversations we were having as part of the email chains you know those those things were just brought up and I suppose it's just thinking like you've said you know you're you're having their whole sort of company in mind of what what do they do and I suppose just the fact that you've you can comment on their social media presence shows that you've actually had a look at their social media you know you've you've maybe given them a follow or something which sounds tiny and it sounds insignificant but like you say little things like that just show that you're not seeing them as dollar signs you know you're seeing them as clients that you're wanting to you know explore their brand or or um, see what they've got to offer or just, you know, you're seeing them as what they do, not just what money they can give you.
0: Yeah. So maybe let's, let's chat. I, I feel like you've kind of subliminally given us hints of this, but what is your over, overall strategy of how you're managing your career? So like thinking of the long-term, like, you know, Will is a animator. He works from home. He does freelance. What is your overall strategy for building this as a strong and, great career where you accomplish you know artistically the things you want to do internally the steps you want to take you know finances relationships like all all these things that are part of a career what is this strategy of yours especially now that there's COVID (laughs) yeah
1: absolutely well um so I'd say that with um with every project what I will do actually on the project so um I will meet deadlines that's the absolute top one for me it's something i pride myself on which again it seems like an obvious thing it seems like well of course you'd meet deadlines but i've met plenty of people who say that they've sort of been let down by animators or whatever not meeting deadlines just uh, not necessarily always setting deadlines but just giving them expectations on okay how long is this going to take this is what you're paying for you're paying for X amount of days of my time and i'll be able to get the first edit to you um, you know on this date that estimating the correct amount of time that you're comfortable you know that you will meet that takes a lot of experience and like i say the fact that i've been doing using the adobe programs and you know uh, doing proper big projects for over about 11 years now uh, actually it's, it's longer than 11 years so it would yeah it'd be something like th- 13 years it's, it like. gives you <laughs> it's, well, yeah exactly it gives you you know the more that you do that it gives you more and more experience yeah. on correctly predicting how long uh, estimating how long you know something's yeah. going to take but, um you.
0: maybe let me um, re- rephrase a bit so um think about will imagine you have uh whatever project you could work on in the world unlimited resource etc 15 years from now you're accomplishing everything your heart desires what what is that thing for you
1: um i i really don't i really don't know to be honest i think it would be um similar to actually what i'm working on at the moment in that it's it's a it's a I mean, I've got, I've got certain dream clients. I think yeah. everyone has certain dream clients. And, you know, I'd love to have something of mine commissioned by Netflix or something. I mean, I had... Uh, one of my goals was to do something for the BBC uh, here in the UK. And I was very fortunate to achieve that about two years ago. I had a title sequence on the BBC and then was able to do that the year after with another title sequence for like the next instalment of, of that series. Um, so that was a big tick off my list nice congratulations um, thank you very much That's awesome. um, and so i think yeah, there's probably like this sort of climb, but i guess at the end of the day like it's difficult to say because 15 years ago you wouldn't have necessarily yeah. someone that has like yourself who's been able to pitch for netflix wouldn't necessarily have um chosen netflix uh, who, who you know who's netflix you know the dvd yeah. postal yeah. service like you know, I think like, feel like we change so much that you set goals. The goals that I had 10 years ago are certainly not the same goals that I've sort of come to now. I think as we change and as the world changes, um, you know, I think that uh, our goals will change. But I suppose you, you touched on a couple of things. I, I want to definitely stay animated. I think um, I, I did. A, I was featured by Adobe actually for one of their sort of student showcase things when I first started uni about seven years ago. eight years ago at this point um and uh i said the 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 quote at the end that they chose to wrap the whole video up was me saying as long as i'm animating i'm happy and that just feels like it it still sort of resonates today as long as i'm animating then you know it doesn't really matter what i'm working on because i'm i'm really enjoying it probably honestly i like Um, that a
0: lot and and that that answers my question like it's it's i i don't know sometimes it's like society or just people in general, or just the narrative storytelling that floats in the general air wants us to have these, uh, big fantasy goals of, you know, I want to direct a Pixar movie or whatever. And I, I don't know, I've been through a lot of trying to figure that out for myself. And, and my goal is kind of similar to what you said, just being proud of the creativity that I'm exporting and making my living off of that. And I think that's totally great. Great.
1: I definitely did when I was younger want to be want to work at Pixar like up until probably a second year of uni from from being sort of 10 years old to the age of let's say 19 or something for a strong you know long amount of time, I really saw myself as someone that would eventually you know want to hopefully eventually work at Pixar. I remember there was a uh, I saw Monsters University. The beautiful timing of this. I saw Monsters University a couple of months before going to university. <laughs> and I was, I was one of those people who would stay at the credits because, you know, I knew that there was going to be a post-credits scene and this wasn't even part of the MCU. This was part of the, um, you know, Pixar Cinematic Universe. Um, but um, I stayed at the credits and the credits rolled. And I remember it's really corny, really cheesy, but I still quite like it the credits rolled and and i just sort of said to myself in an empty theater um uh, something like i'm gonna be there one day and i I I imagine the cleaner at one point was like what what do you say mate you know because i was literally (laughs) the only person in there with with this person just you know getting stray bits of popcorn um but as the time has gone on like I, i don't know you just it's not necessarily uh you know either you're not the person that you thought you were going to be so that situation changes the place that you thought was this dream wonderful sort of garden of eden of animation certain things get revealed about their work culture which maybe makes you think is that really the place for me and i'm sure that things have changed for the better since pete doctor took over um, i'd like to hope anyway but it's sort of this uh, sort of dream place to i'm looking over here with all my pixar postcards um uh put up but like i say the you sort of see pixar for example is this is you know they all roll around on scooters and you can you can decorate your little cave of of whatever into oh look at this guy he's got like a tiki lounge theme going on whatever and it's like oh actually there's stuff behind the scenes that I don't think I'd want to would make me want to work for this place or whatever it is but but also this idea that um I, I suppose I, I suppose the realities of if you work at a massive studio then it's going to take a while probably before you're able to get into a position if at all where you can if if you if you really want to do something and again I'm, I'm not talking from experience whatsoever this is just what I've sort of I'm aware of big studios, but you become a bit of a smaller cog yeah, in a larger yeah. machine, which yeah. for some people is exactly what they want. You know, there's something wonderful about being part of something much bigger than you. And no matter how small it is, I imagine having any impact on something like a Pixar film feels absolutely incredible. But like I said to you earlier, I used to do projects when I was younger that started from scratch. I had the idea, I would do. Um, sketches scripts I would make production plans and again this is the sort of this is at the age of like 10 or 11 I'd I had my big folder of things that would and I've got properly like admin about all this sort of stuff at that sort of age like everyone was sort of going out and you know playing football or whatever and I was like "Um, okay so the production schedule for for this project uh, so I'm going to need to do some character designs today and it was just ridiculous from that sort of younger age um, and I thought that's I'm never going to be able to do any of that as somewhere like Pixar because I'm going to have a, a bit more of a specific focused role so I knew that sort of as I grew older that I grew out of that Pixar um, you know that Pixar dream and also the other thing is that uh, I grew up with this sort of I'd say arrogant, but I'd say more naive idea that you know I would definitely even be able to get a job at Pixar. Like someone like Pixar is obviously so competitive that you know you the amount of people that want to, everyone wants to work at. You know, you think of this, oh, I've got such a such an interesting dream, but the amount, of, but every animator at some point, you know, near enough wants to work at someone like Pixar or Disney or you know so it's it you you working sort of competing against all these people and at the end of the day like unfortunately you know it gets to a point where if for whatever reason you decide to leave you know you, like i say the amount of people queuing up at the door wanting to get a job like it, you will be replaced fairly easily yeah. whereas if you're a much smaller studio then you can you have a, a lot more opportunity to um you know really uh, make your mark and you know get your sort of your unique creative uh, experience sort of stamped onto their work
0: yeah
1: I guess I, the other thing as well is that I never really got into 3D like CGI stuff like and given that is like 95% of what Pixar do um, I just I'm not a 3D animator and I I've come to love, absolutely adore 2D as a, you know, as an animator, um, much more than 3D. So, I mean, there's all these different things. So your dreams and things are wonderful and, you know, motivational and great, but I, I, I think it would be silly now for me to pin everything on a specific path as opposed to just doing it day to day and just seeing how things go. Cause I wouldn't have, as I'm sure we'll talk about, I wouldn't have at all predicted my, how 2020 work wise was going to go for me. Right. So I just I just went along with it and it was wonderful.
0: I think, I, well, what, what you just said definitely makes sense. And I, I just wanted to reiterate it. I think when you're young and you have these dreams, like I want to work at Pixar, it, what it probably meant was I want to make something that feels amazing as pixar it doesn't have to be pixar specifically and then as you grew older and you realize like okay pixar if i want to work at pixar like if i want to i guess 2d storyboarding is probably the closest thing if you want to be a storyboarder as so a pixar you can only do that one thing basically they're not going to let you dabble in a little bit of 3d animation and do a little bit of storyboarding and then write some script and then uh do some post editing you're only going to do that one thing so as you learned and you grew and you became more of who you are and what you liked, you said you liked creating the script and then executing it and then doing the animation and then all that you like doing the whole process. And that didn't line up anymore with doing just one thing. Because if you go to apply as a storyboard or as Pixar and you're up against somebody who from a very young age has been like, I, this, I found that I just love doing storyboards and they only do storyboards and they've been practicing storyboards for the same 15 years you've been practicing doing hundred different things you're never you're never going to meet their quality and and expertise and skill level because mm. their age is ahead of you and so it doesn't make sense almost to pursue that and and it makes more sense to pursue a small company or something like freelance because you're so much more involved in the process and and you can touch more pieces in the way that makes sense mm-hmm. for who you are.
1: And I think that links in actually to why I feel like I've been successful with getting clients and um, sort of successful at marketing myself. Because, like you say, if someone at Pixar that is a storyboard artist, they are almost, they're more defined by what they do. Their role is who they are because they are a storyboard artist and that is their bread and butter. That's what they do. And that's when they go to work you know that is the role that they they do but they do it, you know because of that they do that one thing incredibly well um one thing that i love doing but also i think clients come to me for specifically is like i say been able to offer lots of like the whole process from start to finish so for example when i was at um, ember television my you know that first studio job one of the things that i uh i think i remember it sort of was quite impressive to them in the interview was when i was saying i can do i can take a project from start to finish with designing assets so um every project will you know start with designs from the ground up and instead of having to rely on stock icon packs that a need to be purchased but also b may not be you know particularly appropriate for licenses but also you know, that aren't, aren't immediately branded to you know each project. Um, so I can design things, I'll animate it, you know, do storyboards, um, I can do audio and sound effects, and, you know, I've got a bit of music editing. And, and this links also into what I did when I was younger, when I just did all these fun things. I, in my spare time, would take songs and create shortened versions by find you know when I'd listen to a song, notice repeating elements you know tell me you have like
0: Backstreet Boys and Spice Girls like shortened versions that you've created not
1: not (laughs) quite not quite that far back but certainly (laughs) like just I've got a whole library of of music that I mean I can uh, I've got a whole library (laughs) I won't play any but um my on my uh phone music app um a- I am an artist on my on my thing so if I search myself then you know I come up as an artist
0: that's so um, cute
1: <laughs> and if you go on there then you'll find a whole sort of list a uh, whole thing of edits and shortened versions and sort of little things like that and it was all down to okay i would noticed that um this it was actually um I think it started with um, uh, "New York," a song by Paloma Faith, because the the start bit sounds identical to the end bit, and I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I just sound, you know, made this short 10 second edit that was basically the start, then fading into the end, and there's no song, and it's literally just the intro and outro but sort of stuck together. But inadvertently, that actually helped me, you know, understand a bit better on how to make clean audio edits. And again, that's just something that I do as part of my sort of, you know, you take, get something from Audio Jungle and you're like, OK, this is two minutes, 30 seconds. I need to then uh, make that into a, ten, into a um, you know, one minute version for this specific project but you want to do it in a way that people don't notice the edit it feels clean it feels entirely made for this one project that's just something i do as part of the as part of the process it saves the work of maybe a producer who would usually have to do something like that it's basically you know just leave it with me i'll do it all and you just deliver it like you said with other things it takes the takes the pressure of other people having to do these tasks themselves
0: totally so what you're like so i've talked to other people on this podcast who are entirely freelance as well. Um, for instance, I talked to somebody who does entirely Vizdev for feature films and that's, you know, that's what they do. They're super well known for it. Um, I talked to somebody who only does storyboards for feature films and TV shows as a, as a freelancer. But what you're telling me is you're kind of a jack of all trades freelancer. So the clients that you get, y- you might not get uh, the chance to do like character development on a feature film but your clients are more like i'm a small or large business that doesn't have an established animation process in my playbook and i need somebody to figure out these projects for me you they can go to you and basically say can you figure all this out and you'll do everything from concept to execution including like the final edits the sound everything and i think i think that's interesting because you are meeting a totally different part of the market than the established quote unquote animation industry, which is like TV shows uh, and stuff like that. You're, you're meeting like businesses needing solutions. Mostly are you, are you doing TV shows and things like that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, I think that's, that's often where there's a little bit of a line drawn between animation and motion graphics. I mean, in my, in my mind, I, I, prefer to think of the whole thing as animation whether you are doing you know animation for tv shows on netflix or whether you're doing animation for you know explainer videos and all that sort of stuff but yeah i have done a bit of both i um done the sort of especially when i was at ember television i did a lot of sort of corporate stuff but um like i said i've done title sequences for uh the bbc for two projects for tv I actually did one of my favourite projects, and this is, again, an amazing opportunity to be able to take a project from start to finish, or at least be involved in a project from start to finish, is um, in 2016, so during my last year of uni, I did a project for, or I worked with a fellow tutor um, doing a project uh, where we did the opening sequence, I say we, it was quite a large team in the end, we did the opening sequence for the Brit Awards which was you know it's like for people in America that aren't as familiar with it it's a bit like the sort of the Grammys or something like that but for you know music British Music Awards it's on ITV every year it's an enormous event at the O2 arena and we did the you know you you um the program starts it starts with Anton Deck you know presenting legends in the UK um and they do their little piece to camera this little sketch thing It goes to them walking to the O2 type thing. And then the camera pulls out to dancers in the O2. You know, you've got the circle tables with all the celebrities and all all sorts of music industry people on the floor at the O2 sitting, um, surrounded by dancers everywhere. There's like a zoetrope of these LED screens that were designed by um, designer, Ez Devlin all around in the o2 and our job was to create the stuff that's on those screens so um this was a it was a dance choreographed by uh, studio wayne mcgregor and ravi deeper my um the funny thing is he didn't even teach me ever at uni he was just another teacher but um one of my tutors said oh ravi uh, will you know would be great to work with you sort of thing because I'd done an experiment for my university project that just so happened to be the exact same type of technique that he was looking to emulate in After Effects. Again, we go back to sort of the creating your own look. That is entirely look, entirely chance. I did not have anything to do with those two things aligning at the right place at the right time. What I did have the chance to do, though, was to show my enthusiasm, I had no idea what this project was, and I think that was purposeful, that they were like, we don't want people to be involved in this just because it's a big TV show, and enormous project, we want people to be involved in it because they want to be involved in it, um, so I, I got involved in this project, and then later on it was revealed that it was going to be for the Brit Awards, and that was when I was like, okay, this has got 10 times better, yeah. but I was, I was on board from the start sort of thing, um, but what that meant for the actual project was that I was involved in testing at the university photography studios, testing the effect, and and you know doing a bit more sort of like um, a runner type assistant, writing down sort of settings and stuff like that. Um, Went filming uh, when I was a more of again more of a runner, sort of um, assistant helping out. Editing where I was sort of doing a bit of motion graphics and then a bit of you know you are you are the one operating Premiere at the request of the, um, you know, the producer or the director or whatever. And then going down to the O2 and being the one that sort of, it's basically amendments, I suppose. You show it on the screen and then you're able to notice because it's a LED panels, which have to be very, very precise, one pixel out and you are literally on a different screen. Um, and so, you know, we, we saw the whole thing. We played the whole thing with the music through the speakers of the O2 arena. I genuinely, I nearly cried when I saw that for the first time because it just completely blew me away. Um, but then the job begins of having to edit. You know, you've, you take notes and you like sort of um, scientists or sort of taking notes on this. Okay, this is test number one. We've done that. We need to change these things. And then you change it, refine it, and get it ready. Uh, I actually had the opportunity to be at the Brits as an audience member. Um, for free because of doing all this but I turned it down because I was far too tired and I would I much prefer to watch the Brits at home uh, on telly <laughs> with my partner because at that point I was just like I can't I just I'm so shattered that I need to oh get my back goodness. home um, well that is that is a really cool experience
0: um I uh, so maybe just a, one last question about kind of how you get these projects and whatnot so one question that i've been dying to ask this whole time is you've worked with tom scott who has like i don't know four million subscribers on youtube and you've done Three, po-
1: i think it's like three and a half something like that yeah
0: let's round it to four <laughs> <laughs> three and a half um uh three a half sorry. Million,
1: not just three and a half subscribers. i don't even know three what and half a half million <laughs>
0: You worked with a famous YouTuber, basically, and done yeah. motion graphics for his videos, which I think is really cool. Because you know, I, I've watched his videos. Obviously, he's he's like always in my recommended feed. And then you just see that he's got graphics, and there's obviously a budget behind it. There's animators behind it, but you have no clue what's like. How does this work? Like, how did did he reach out to you? Did you reach out to him? Like, how easy is it to get into YouTube or just uh, social media? uh influencers and get work from them because that's like a whole new industry that's opening up right now
1: again another another brilliant sort of opportunity to talk about um you know chance but also making the most of chance uh encounters so um like i say i did uh the Uh, title sequence for the BBC which the fact that I got that job was because I just randomly checked Facebook uh, checked my old uni's Facebook page and they posted that I never do but I was compelled to one day for whatever reason and found that project and immediately wrote a long email where I specifically linked to certain projects and you know really detailed anyway got that job Next year it came round again because it's it's the Christmas lectures which are shown every year on the BBC. Science three science lectures every Christmas, um, and so that came round the year after. So this was in uh, twenty nineteen, and I did it again. Again, they were really impressed with that sort of stuff, and I was invited to the day three. Yeah, the day three recording um, in London, um, and to be. The, in the audiences because what it is is it's mainly for kids um the audience that is mainly kids so the main audience is school children and then like in the rafters is like all their parents and stuff like that and that's where we sat um so we were invited to that myself and my partner and uh also because it was day three it was the final you know lecture filming day it was also the wrap party so i went to that wrap party and um there were lots of people there There was this the um the lecturer, or the lecturers for that year, was the main lecturer was, uh, Dr. Hannah Fry, who is another sort of, she's been on channels like Numberfile on YouTube and she does a lot of TV stuff as well. So I got to meet her, which was great. Um, and then she had like a co lecturer, Matt Parker, who is another, he's a maths YouTuber, does a lot of stuff for file, and has his own YouTube uh, channel, Stand Up Maths um but also what happened is that I was sort of they were doing the the um the thank yous to everyone and uh they were you know thank you to Hannah for an incredible you know lecture thank you to Laura for producing the TV all these sort of different people and then it switched over to you know the um different set of people thanking a different set of people and then they were like I was like, oh, they didn't they didn't mention me, but that's fine. But I'm sure it's just because, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, but then they're like, oh, oh, hold on, before we all start partying, sorry, someone I forgot to um, I forgot to mention. Thank you to Will for doing the title So not only did I get a little shout out of this rap party, I got my own special individual, uh, unique, you know, shout-out. But whilst they were giving these shout-outs, I just sort of looked over, looking around the room. Tom Scott (laughs) because he was brought in for lecture two to talk about because the lecture series that year was about um the secret mathematics that you know operate our entire world and so he was used as an example of the YouTube algorithm because he's done so well on YouTube but he was sort of saying that you know it's it's not necessarily based on He's better than anyone else. It's just like you know, the algorithm can be fairly random, and it can lead to you know great success in his case. But you know, people, not everyone wins on the YouTube algorithm. So he was brought for the rap party, and I was like, right, I've got a you know someone that i watched on YouTube for the past eight years or however long. Went up and I said hello, but also I'd already been introduced to him. In a way by someone else saying thank you for doing the title sequence you know they were like thank you to will for doing the title sequence so he looked over at me he knew who i was I, the work had already been done sort of so i said oh hi i'm Will. i you know did the title sequences as you know whoever said um but also he saw the title sequence because they played it during the filming so he would have seen it um you know when his filming day was on Um, and immediately that's oh wow that's really cool you know that thing that you did that's so using the actual project itself as who am I I'm the person that made that Um, and the fact that you're able to with confidence and being totally um, truthful say I made that entirely from scratch not I was one person that I did that little frame there or I did which not to say there's anything bad about collaborative projects but it's it feels amazing to say that you did something like that entirely you that is you that did that that was sort of a great in to talk to him um and then I said you know I know that you do a lot of he does a lot of VFX heavy videos that he does himself and can only do sort of every once a year twice a year because he he sort of kills himself over doing it every time you know the amount of oh god i'm never going to do this again because of how difficult it is for him to for him to do it so i said oh you know i know you do a lot of um, uh, animation and effects for your youtube videos um, you know I'd, I'd, you know let me know if there's anything that i can do i can work with you in the future and again in terms of things lining up he said I'm actually looking for a new animator right now because my old animator isn't very good at meeting deadlines. And I was like, right, (laughs) you were saying earlier, what do you say to people at this point? I was like, right, I know exactly what I'm going to say. Well, I pride myself on meeting deadlines.
0: <laughs> so immediately
1: you've been like okay you need me because I'm going to solve the problem that made you fire us animator. Yeah. Um I gave him my card and then about a month later he got in touch for the first project which was just these sort of small graphic inserts for one video. It lasted about 20 seconds or something. But you know I got my work on a Tom Scott video. This is amazing, you know, a video that I knew would inevitably reach at least a million views or something like that. And then out of you know again the sort of chance things the pandemic happened so he wasn't able to do much youtube work traveling to places and stuff like that so he had to do most of his content out of his flat on a green screen and guess who got to do the animation and VFX and pretty much everything else as part of that video. Well, so, dang. <laughs> but, but like I say, the chance of that happening was entirely out of my hands. But what wasn't out of my hands is impressing him the first time around, meeting the deadline the first time around, um, you know, really going to absolute, to town with it, with the quality and, and yeah. attention to detail and ideas. And something funny that happened actually is that, I did the the second video that I did with him, which was a full VFX. He did green screen presenting and then I did everything else essentially. Um, I did that in March. And he gave me a Google Docs script and said, okay, this is what you've got. You know, I look forward to seeing what you've what you're going to come up with. Here's the footage. Um, And he gave me a couple of directed bits, you know, to the camera. Okay, I'm going to do this now. So whatever, but the majority of it was basically, he walks on and then I have to interpret the script however I want, you know, storyboarding, design, animation. I sent that to him and he said, you know, oh, this is, this is really good, this is, I really like this. It's, it's you know, you've done an amazing job. Um, I've got a couple of notes and some of the notes referred to comments on the script. And I was like, just I can't really see any comments on the script. And he realised at that point that he'd not shared the Google Docs comments. So all of my work had been done without even seeing all the comments that he put requesting what he wanted in the video. Oh, no. (laughs) But the fact that I had done a job that he was really impressed with and had actually almost done exactly what he wanted or what he would have done himself without seeing any of that direction just again the, the the fact that that happened was so coincidental but maybe meant that we were on the same wavelength and we thought you know we interpreted things very similarly but that was just very strange but he that impressed him even more because you know the fact that i didn't need any direction because i didn't get any because i didn't see the comments because of the you know a little mistake or whatever but that, that didn't cause a problem at all
0: so what i'm getting out of this is your job with Scott, or Tom Scott, sorry, actually started like years prior, when you had worked on something else because of a lucky, maybe not years, a lucky job opportunity here and there. But I guess my overall thought is, there's like two parts to your career. There's the one side that's complete random chance, coincidence, luck. And then there's the other side that you can control and you do everything in your power to control the outcome. You know, you've, you've mentioned deadlines a number of times, you've mentioned quality, you've mentioned coming up with ideas, you've mentioned trying to build relationships, et cetera. So how, I guess maybe the the last thought on this topic is like how, and we've alluded to this so many times, how do you manufacture luck when you can't control it? So you're doing everything you can to control the, the process, except you can't control the whole coincidental factor how do you do your best to manufacture this so that you so it, get those it, opportunities? It's, basic,
1: it's basically sort of doing uh, seeing the sort you know there's, there's certain things that are in your control and there's certain things that will never be uh, totally out of your control and just to take for example when i was at um university like i said there'd be lots of speakers that would come to university and who comes and whether anyone comes at all often is got absolutely you know that is entirely out of your control because you're not the one that's booking these guests. What is in your control is so that is entirely luck. The fact that whoever comes in and whether people come at all and all that and you know uh if they're even on nights that you're free or whatever, that's entirely luck chance that is often out of your hands. What isn't out of your hands, and this is where manufacturing your own luck, that sort of concept comes into play, is The actual going up to someone afterwards, staying around, making that decision that you're going to speak to them, because what you've done immediately then um, is separate yourself from all the people that didn't stay. You know, there's plenty of people that will, you know, see someone talk, but only a small percentage of those people will then actually have a face-to-face conversation whether it's you know having a drink with them because some people have then go to a pub or a bar afterwards or whatever and that can be very daunting it can and it's something that you need practice on and actually something that I did when uh, just before I went to uni so this was when I was 18 um at a local art center Gary Rydstrom who is a sound designer for a lot of Pixar films and directed a pixel short film called lifted he came to talk about his work on um the secret life of our Ari- is it secret life and yeah i think secret life of Variety. um that's gonna i'm gonna that's gonna bug me it, what that's called um but it's basically the ghibli film secret world of Variety. yeah it was... there we go um the sort of ghibli version of the borrowers um and um he was talking about his work on that and I went up to him afterwards and showed him some work on an iPad and um you know my um my mum said that you know you've always been someone that goes up to people and you know having the courage to just go up to someone like that that you admire so much and just be like okay this is my work I want you to see my work um so in terms of actually meeting people you don't get to choose who you get to stumble across in day-to-day life like the fact that I didn't know that Tom Scott was going to be there but I manufactured the look, as it were, by going to that, um, you know, after party in the first place, by um, then going up to him and having a chat with him Um, and, yeah, by just, I suppose, yeah, being, you know, going up to him, having a chat and talking to him about my work and having, and, and being open about the fact that, you know, this is what I did, this is the project that I did and um, you know the fact that what I was able to talk to him about was something that I felt was really impressive, and he was impressed by it. That the title sequence I was able to refer to um, during the job, I suppose. Yeah, it's just all those, all those sort of things of really, um, not so that you see each job as just the paycheck at the end of it, but having really strong attention to detail during it, having um, ideas, and sometimes it's difficult because the the um, source material or the the concept or whatever is just really not you're really not getting on with it it's it's quite boring or it's just you just think oh I just want to get onto something more interesting or you know this is the project I have to do so that I can then do something much more fun next week or whatever but you know I think as long as that doesn't as long as you are sort of very able to put that aside just for the just for the space of time you're working on it and still apply that same attention to detail that meeting those deadlines and things like that um and a lot of it comes down to obviously as well putting yourself out there and one thing that i always did when i was at uni is really shout about my work shout about myself really try and put myself out there as a student so that i would be the person that when look came around and a local studio was looking for someone to join their team I would not be someone that my tutors might think of, but I would be the first person that they think of. So they're, you know, their first, the first person they'd go to after hearing there was a job offer would be me. And um, you know, the fact that, like I said, I, I was doing a technique that was very similar to my a fellow tutor Ravi's technique that ended up being used for the Brit Awards the fact that my tutor knew that i was doing that technique was because i spoke to him so off so sort of regularly and so openly about the work that i was doing and showed him all these tests and the fact that i was doing these tests in my spare time and all these sort of things it's really about you know um, so manufacturing those scenarios in which luck can come your way instead of someone else's way or you know yeah. So it it is that it is the the two sides of that sort
0: of that makes that makes a lot of sense. And so, like, what I'm getting out of this is like, take a look at the random opportunities that exist around you. Maybe Pixar didn't come as a speaker, and so that thing in your head where you're like, "I'm so excited to speak to this Pixar person," they didn't show up. Whatever, doesn't happen. But there are tons of other people there that you can connect with on a way that makes them think of you as like the go-to person for your skill level like like you said tom he was booting out his old animator that means he was going to be on the lookout for new animator he's probably going to go to his contacts look on the internet etc but mm-hmm. you coming up to him specifically in that random coincidence scenario and making sure that he thought of you and giving him something that he could think of you oh deadlines that's what i need i'm going to go to will that makes sense so i i like that a lot um i want to talk maybe as like the last Well, I do want to talk about what you're doing in the future, but maybe as the last topic, um, I don't know how to organically go into this, but you have the six currencies for a project, which I've never seen anybody so succinctly put in a list before of why you should take on, why you should or should not take on client work. And I think it's really interesting. So can you just go through the six and list them out and give a little brief explanation of each?
1: Yeah, sure. So this came from a lecture that I did um, on the topic of the Christmas lectures project, Um, because one of the um, unfortunate things with the sort of setup of that project is that because it's for the Royal Institution, which is a charity, the budget on it is always sort of it's not the biggest budget in the world. So, um, you know, I wasn't doing it because it was paying out an enormous fee. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't paying out other things and this is where the the sort of the currencies come into it so um there are like like we've said obviously you know these work opportunities you know pay the bills right so the first currency is the obvious money right You, you take on projects because they they pay the bills and that's that's the one that people will obviously think of Another one is pleasure. So, you know, just the sheer, the fact that you're gonna enjoy this time, I really think that can be undervalued, especially, you know, when we're thinking of freelance. And and obviously all of these things have to be, have to, you need need to pay the bills. You need to make sure, you you, you need that, and you need to make sure that you're, you know, um, buying food and all, all, once these are met, basically, it's things that can be a good reason to take on a project after that. So pleasure, you know, you really like working with. Maybe it's because of the p- type of, you know, the person that you really like working with, and the uh, maybe the t- the technique that you like doing, or um, you like the vision that they've got. You know, you, you like the idea behind what they're doing, and um, you believe in that strongly, or, or you know, you just wanting to do it recreationally or something like that um there is a caveat to all of this which i will get to at the end um but uh the third one is exposure which is you know that's like the the joke one that's the sort of now i've not got any money to give you but you know i will i'll, I'll give you exposure and they think as if like you know tell them all their friends about you is gonna pay the bills or whatever like i say as long as the bills are paid then you know that's fine So but, when, um, when does
0: it make sense to do it for exposure then because like <laughs> it's you know with social influencers etc like let me stay in your hotel and i'll tell my thousand subscribers about you you know like
1: exactly it's it's really about weighing up what someone's exposure sort of means especially i guess you know because we've been talking about these as currencies you you know you can think of someone maybe think of someone's exposure sort of currency as having a different exchange rate depending on who they are like if someone's got sort of like you, you know a couple thousand followers then They're doing a project just because they're going to, you know, put you on their stories or something may well not be worth it at all. But I've got a friend who did a video for Will Smith and uh, just reaching out. He he um, he uh, became he's become quite popular, you know, about 70,000 followers on Instagram and um, has done a lot of stuff for different celebrities. And he doesn't do them necessarily for, you know, they're not necessarily commissions whatever, but he does them for the fun of it. But also, someone like Will Smith, he posts a video on um, Instagram. It gets viewed by millions of people, but he's got his, uh, you know, his account tagged quite high up on the description. You know, check out this insane animation by, uh, you know, this person's Instagram account. That is, that is, that exposure is worth way more than somewhat you know a small influencer or something like that um but also exposure isn't just the the metrics of followers or subscribers or anything like that it can also be just that word of mouth um and that is where it gets a bit sort of you know you have got to judge how much is this exposure worth and i wouldn't condone people just sort of you know you don't want to be taken advantage of and I will go in, into that a bit more afterwards but yeah th- it, this isn't sort of to say that people saying that they'll offer you exposure is is an alternative to being paid properly but it can be uh, and, and I guess the other thing to link this into the Christmas lectures is that I knew that even I wasn't being paid an enormous amount um, that I knew that it was going to go on TV and it was going to go on the BBC and it isn't just other people giving you exposure and doing, you know, having other people you know, be the one ex- uh, giving you that exposure. It's also having something to your name that immediately gives you a little bit more sort of power to. to um, to get someone's attention like yeah, being like look say, at
0: me i did this i did this for the bbc
1: for the bbc exactly for Impressive. you know bbc household name in the uk and even sort of abroad as well to say that you've done something like that it immediately puts you in a different category of people than all the other people that can't say that they've necessarily done something like that and um, similarly tom scott you know i'm able to say that i've done videos for tom scott which just our videos that we've both you know that we've worked on together have amassed over 30 million views you can say things like he like you said he's got over three million subscribers all of these things like uh, immediate things that separate you from you know people that haven't done that um and that can be worth so much more that can get you the money that you didn't get for that project because you're able to sort of set you set yourself apart um the fourth one is practice. So um, again, maybe there's a, a um, maybe there's a technique that you're not quite ready to really uh, sell yourself on at the moment. You know, you, you're learning CG or, so, or you know, three D animation or whatever it is, and um, you want you want a brief to be able to um, really uh, test these new skills in a way that's not just you coming up with your own random ideas. Um, that's the sometimes projects can be great for that as well um, because you, you're going to have to start somewhere I mean there's only so many tutorials that you can do um, until you really have to test your new skills on proper projects and I mean these are the sort of projects that I did when I was in high school so when I was learning the Adobe programs and things like that I you know these projects for people were the perfect opportunity to practice and to have proper um, briefs and you know sometimes um, people won't necessarily hire you unless you're at a certain level, but you've got to do certain things to be able to get to that level in the first place. It's, it's a bit like that old you know, joke about, you know, you, you want an internship for the experience, but then the internship has a, re- a requirement of a certain many years experience. Well, ha- I need experience before I can get experience sort of thing. So sometimes it can drive you crazy trying to do that, but yeah, to be able to do something because of the practice value it can give you is really potentially good as well um favor now this is this one in particular is a bit sort of you know you've really got to trust the person that you're wanting to do the favor for um, because again this can be abused and um, if someone says uh oh i'll do this you know there's a favor i'll, I'll you know I'll, maybe it's i'll repay you when i've got a budget or you know, I can do something for you. Like, you've got to really think, you know, is that person going to be able to do something for me that actually matches the same sort of value? Um, or are they actually going to deliver on their promise? You know, because it's an informal agreement that doesn't have some sort of written contract or something. For example, I've got a friend, uh, who's uh, Ben, who I've done a lot of he's done a lot of music for a lot of my projects and uh he did a favor for me doing because it was a project that i had no budget on and was just a sort of fun project that i was experimenting with he did the music for that as a favor and i still owe him the favor back but i've remembered that and i'm going to mention it to him and you know i'm, I'm sticking to my word i'm going to still do a project for free for him in the future um And that's, you know, because he trusts me. He trusted me enough to do that project for free. So I need to sort of repay that by doing the same thing, not just sort of secretly silently going, I'll just see if he remembers that sort of thing in the future. Um, But I'll probably mention to him in the next couple of days that, do you remember that thing that he did for me a couple of years ago? Like, I'm still up for doing, repaying that sort of thing. Because I'd want the same thing back from him. But that's because I know that he trusts me and I trust him. So that sort of thing as well. Oh hello! We've got a new guest on the on the show.
0: What's just, his name? It's just it's just Moose. He just wanted to come up on my lap, so here he is.
1: <laughs> he's learning about the six currencies. Yeah, as well. he's
0: listening. He's uh. What, we're at number five. We got one more, Moose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. So, uh, the sixth one is charity. Now, again, um just because a an organization is a charity doesn't mean that they don't have money obviously marketing departments exist for charities so you know um it's depending on who they are they they should have money to pay for animators and things and shouldn't be sort of using their charity status to try and persuade people to do work for free but i for example am the lead designer for a local charity um, Called the Will Garvey Trust Foundation, because it was, it's a charity started by uh friends of the family that I've known since I was probably about 10. Um, and I do a lot of work for them. And the reason that I reached out to them and said I'd be happy to do the work, you know, do certain design work and stuff for free for you, is because I knew that if I didn't reach out, then they would, because they're not animators, because they're not designers you know, they would probably be stuck with sort of lower quality stuff and probably wouldn't be able to reach as many people or make as much of an impact. And I really believed in the cause. It's um, a charity promoting uh, mental health, particularly in young males. And I thought that's, you know, I, I want to get really behind that, that cause and do whatever I can for them to reach, uh, you know, more people And I knew that they didn't necessarily have the money to pay me. They may well do in the future, but they they don't right now. But I don't mind. I'm happy to to just do it for free Um, because, again, because of them starting out as a charity. Similarly, um, I had a few friends who were a bit unsure about me taking on the Christmas lectures job a second time round because of the fact that you know i ought to be paid proper amount but i knew i knew the situation i knew the financial situation the the production company was very upfront with me about it that they weren't getting much this is a passion passion project for them as well because the royal institution that is putting on these lectures is a charity so their budget is immediately shrinked because they're not a sort of private company um and most projects that don't you know i get a reduced budget for even zero budget for are often a combination of different currencies like this and i've sort of internalized uh, I, I suppose at the end of the day it's up to you whether you want to take on projects you know i've got like i said i've got friends and family or whatever who may disagree with me taking on projects often often for just looking out for me not wanting me to be exploited um but i'm the one that ultimately feels confident enough to be able to tell whether you know I feel like this is a good move for me or whatever and the other thing I want to stress as well is that this isn't to say that you should let you know keep yourself open to being taken advantage of you've really got to be sort of smart about um judging whether someone for example the favour is someone going to actually be able to pay you back in the same amount or is someone just going to use that as an opportunity to sort of exploit you um, and you know the uh, you got. I suppose you got to think like, okay, you probably do have a budget. You're probably you know paying other people, so why can't you pay me? Sort of thing. I don't know. You've just got to really judge it. And and uh, you know, this isn't me condoning people sort of using uh, and anim- or sort of paying people in exposure. Yes. And also at the end of the day, like I say, often for some people um the uh, these sort of projects they have to pay money because they're living paycheck to paycheck or you know they they need to get bills paid so um given your financial situation given how you feel about the client or the project or whatever you've got to really judge all these things but I suppose it's just to be able to feel like just because something isn't being paid in either the right amount or at all doesn't immediately eradicate any advantages to taking on that project and i'm you know the fact that i've got i got the tom scott project all the you know the 17 videos that i've done with him and all the other youtubers what i've worked with i only got that because i decided to do the christmas lectures the second time round. which if i was a stickler for the money in the budget um then i would have you know not um been able to do those projects that led on from that at all
0: yeah I, well I, I think i think that's a really good point it's like Th- these six currencies depends on how you treat them, and if you treat them with, you know, the respect and and the success you want to give them, they can lead you to build up your career in different areas, just like you explained. I just want to I just want to wrap uh, wrap them up again because I I wrote them down. <laughs> so money obviously is the first one to pay your bills. Pleasure you're enjoying it, which means you're probably going to do a great job anyways, and people are going to enjoy it as well. Exposure if you're doing something you know maybe less than pay to get in front of other people who may end up paying you practice if you're not so good at something and you need to broaden your skill set a favor which is a reciprocal thing uh which you need to remind your friend of <laughs> and and charity and just you know doing something for the goodness of of giving back and i think i think that's great and um I really like how you've put these and they, they make a lot of sense to me. And it's like, I'm immediately thinking about some of the projects that I'm doing right now and how they fit in. Cause not all of them are for money. Some of them are for like, I'm doing one purely because I just absolutely loved the idea. And I was like, I have to make this. Um, and I'm doing another one for practice because I, I want to meld 2d and stop motion together. And, and so this is an opportunity with this, this client I'm working with to do that. So I was like, I, I, have never done this before. I want to try to do this to my best ability. So um, I guess as we're wrapping up, can you just tell me, you know, what's next for you? You've got you've, you've worked on all these amazing projects. We talked about your career, but I know that you're also launching something on the sidelines here. So why don't we uh, briefly speak about that?
1: Yeah. So um, a few months ago, at this point, I've um, launched uh, the trailer for "Loan with Will." So um, as is obviously the case with many many countries around the world. Um, the UK went back into lockdown at the start of January and one of the most difficult aspects of lockdown the first time around um, all around you know, the world was homeschooling. So um, they realised that, you know, YouTube videos, obviously the fact that we've got YouTube during the pandemic has, has been incredibly helpful for, for kids and parents and, and uh, um, teachers to teach from home. But it it was still found to be an incredibly difficult process. Um, And I spent 2020 doing, you know, animating for people like Tom Scott, for people like Matt Parker, you know, science, English, and maths uh, videos for these popular YouTubers. And I felt like it was the perfect opportunity to then do the same sort of thing specifically for making homeschooling easier. so learn with Will is a series of is a new YouTube channel um, with fun animated videos teaching science, English, and maths. Um, I'd like to think of it as you know you do. Uh, there's a lot of people that do like fitness workouts, like the guy called Joe Wicks here in the UK. That you know PE with Joe. Who are you doing your PE with? Oh, I'm doing PE with Joe, and then you learn with Will, sort of thing, as well. Um, and uh, to really make these subjects all these topics really engaging and something that I hated when I was a kid when I was at school and I think a lot of people feel the same way especially something like maths you learn like a a Pythagorean theorem a squared plus b squared equals c squared like that's great and everything but uh, you, you immediately think what am I gonna why am I learning this because a lot of the time you learn it for the purposes of being able to you know show that you've learned it in an exam like there's no sort of often you're not learning it for just learning about the beautiful world of mathematics because people are like math isn't beautiful it's boring you know because you're taught it in often ways that are, are quite boring um and so i thought right i'm going to make these resources to make learning fun make it um you know really engaging make it properly, you know, put everything that I've learned about animation, but also taking a project from start to finish, you know, really thinking about the structure and the format of content and things like that, um, really apply that to to learning in these three subjects. So um, each video is on a different topic within the subject of science, English and maths but also uh, there's games to play as well. Again, I call them games. I don't call them tests or, or quizzes or anything like that. They're games really to sort of change the language that is used and, and make it hopefully more enjoyable. Um, I'm, in some videos, I'll be joined by um, people you know, uh, like Dr. Sheila, who is from the Royal Astronomical Society here in the UK. Um, she, her video about the planets um, will be um, part of the launch tomorrow. Um, and uh, other people that you know other really sort of um, clever people you know uh, so it's almost like I'm learning with people that are watching the videos as well and that um, you know things that I wouldn't necessarily be able to write scripts on they can help me with Um, but also every video will come with a downloadable worksheet as well to make sure that you know that you can keep practicing afterwards with you know fresh questions or you know play those games again but with new content Um, every video has subtitles as well to make sure that everyone can learn with Will and a downloadable transcript as well Um, you know, for hard of hearing or deaf, um, you know, students or if you're the way that you learn is actually in a situation like on the, you know, maybe not the train, because that feel like that's a lot less common at the moment with COVID, but in a situation in which you can't have things on out loud. um, I've made sure that subtitles are are on, not just the automatic ones on YouTube, but, you know, the exact script as it is um, from the video. And But hopefully they'll be appropriate for all ages, not just people that are doing homeschool at the moment, but just people that maybe you're in your exams and you're, you know, uh, the end of high school or something like that, and you need a refresher and fractions for whatever reason when you're a kid just completely went over your head. And the two options that you've got to learn more about fractions, you know, really basic fundamental fractions either are sort of really dreary or really sort of academic, you know, covering fractions that are really not engaging or really condescending, patronizing, kids-oriented sort of stuff that is, you know, you know, let's sing a song about fractions and it makes you feel like an idiot for having to look at something so simple again hopefully people can feel like it's appropriate for them as well or just people that want to they want to learn about the planets and they can never remember the, the order of the planets and they watch university challenge or something like that like quiz shows on telly or you know jeopardy or whatever and, and they just want to have that banked in their mind of what the order of the planets is because they've never been able to remember it and they just you know they watch this video and they can they can test their knowledge and, and stuff like that even though they've got they're not at school and they're never going to have to know the names of the planets at all but it's just to satisfy their curiosity um and this goes back to the the currencies as well because um starting a new youtube channel like people think of youtube as you know like tom or or matt or whoever else where it's their job and they they you know you can put ads on youtube videos and people earn a lot of money from youtube but when you're starting off a channel um you can't put ads on your videos anymore unless you've got a certain number of subscribers and a certain number of watch hours and that went up about i think it was like last year or the year before they increased that so that's even that threshold is even higher before you can start earning anything from it and even then you know the amount that you earn it, you have to earn you have to get a lot of views before you can earn any substantial amount of money from it so um this is entirely out of my own pocket um, and so I'm not doing it for the purposes of earning money, but I'm hopefully going to turn it into my main focus, to see how things go. Um, I'm doing it for the pleasure of it, because I just really like the idea of people getting the you know, benefit of uh, finding it easier to uh, teach their kids or, or you know, taking the pressure off um, you know, teachers or parents finding these really high quality resources um and it's a lot of practice as well there's a you know I'm learning a lot of new techniques or solving a lot of problems that I'd also do with a client project but the pressure's off because it's not got a deadline to it so I can really take my time with this you could say it's sort of a charity thing as well in a way um but not wanting to you know not wanting to overreg it like I'm Mother Teresa or something but you know just to the fact that I'm, I'm doing it just out of the sort of the benefit that it will give others um and yeah, just I've, I've had uh, a couple of like family friends that have tried it on their kids or, or teachers that have had a look at it and um, just seeing a, like a photo of um, my friend's kids filling in the worksheets for the planets video where one of the things is you've got a blank circle and some questions and it's to there's a new planet has been discovered what what does the planet look like draw your sort of planet and answer the questions what's the name of the planet what's what type of planet is it like gas or rocky or something else what lives on the planet and they're just you know they're filling in or they're engaging with it all the same the same kids um you know they could never remember the names of the planets or they never understood fractions and then this video just got it for them and they got sort of a good um you know their, their teacher was like oh that's you know I'm really proud of you I'm really sort of you know you, that really good job sort of thing um because of the videos I've done that is you know I don't need to get paid for that sort of thing to be worthwhile to me at all like I I'm very much the pleasure of animating and the pleasure of making a difference and seeing your work actually touching people and I guess that's part of what being uh, a director or something at Pixar would has always appealed to me is I I don't know there must be something that although he probably never necessarily uh, you know talks about it in interviews or whatever but there must be something that Pete Doctor gets from being the guy that made Monsters Inc or being the guy that made Up, you know, because Up, for example, is so often cited as like the most emotionally pulling at your heartstrings, you know, Pixar film. Or I did the Pixar Masterclass in 2014, where three people from Pixar did lectures and stuff like that in London. And one of the guys, Ricky Nerva, who um, actually signed, he drew Mike and signed it for me. Um, he... Uh, had a chat there was someone that came to those masterclasses who had Mike tattooed on her leg and just to think like he he made Mike he created Mike in his sketchbook and there's someone from the other side of the world that has inked that permanently on her leg you know that that sort of thing just it, you know you've made a mark quite literally in the world that you know is just that's the sort of thing that I love and even if it's whether it's a big sort of mainstream thing like a Pixar film or it's because you've made a difference in people's lockdown teaching things or whatever it is or just one person you've oh you put a smile on my face I was feeling rubbish today but I saw your film or I saw your you know your shorts on Instagram whatever and it really made me you know that sort of making a difference thing that's I suppose that goes into pleasure but you could even turn that into another currency itself because it goes a bit deeper than that but um, that's yeah (laughs) yeah
0: No, I lo- I love this and and thank you for putting together Learn with Will. This sounds incredible, actually. And I am it's super ambitious as well. You keep saying like it's gonna have a downloadable thing, and I'll, I I I can imagine the amount of incredible work that goes into this. So thank you for doing this. I think that's, I think that's really cool. Mm. Um, I don't I don't know what else to say from here. <laughs> I really like what you said about you know making an impact and and how just seeing one kid, uh, kind of learn something from something that you've done it it feels incredible Um, i'm just wondering maybe as as a final question um say somebody's listening to this and uh you know they're thinking about the freelance life because they've they've realized that this kind of really fits who they are just like you did what is maybe one thing they can do after listening to this podcast like tonight that will have a a long-term impact like something immediate right now uh i think probably
1: I think one of the things is sort of thinking of okay what can you offer who what sort of person can you be for someone that will immediately make you stand out Um, whether it's a certain project that you've done in the past or if you've not even done any projects yet at all like what is it about you that means that you're not just a random animator like I think one of the things that I think would be more common but sometimes because people are an animator just for the job but Maybe it's because you are super passionate just about animation in general. Like, I mean, just on the other side of things, on the other side of my, um, you know, my setup, I've got these, you know, like Link from Missing Link and Kubo pop figures and, you know, really sort of decorating my my sort of office to be full of animation stuff. because I'm so I just absolutely adore animation I love the I I love the concept of it it's you know it's it's magic it always feels like magic to me um ever since I was young you know a young kid and I think really fostering why someone should pick you whether it's because you've got a really great passion in it or you know you've got a very specific skill of you know a certain program or you know upcoming technology or what you you specialize in vr animation or like you said the, someone at pixar specializing in you know um storyboarding or you know there's finding your little niche you know your little area of animation that you love or if it's um like me you know you want them to offer the whole process really really refining all those things i mean There's plenty of courses um, to, you know, maybe you want them to expand your skill set. And for example, recently I've done uh, a course uh, about hand-drawn traditional animation, which I've never really done much of before. Really feel a lot more confident doing that now. I'm really happy with how that all turned out. And I can now add that to my sort of list of things potentially to to offer to clients. Um, I suppose also maybe having a look at um, this is this would have been much more appropriate to talk about pre-COVID. But if there's if your city or your town or something like that hosts you know events of some kind, if there's local clubs or local organisations that do lectures or if you're at university. Um, and I suppose this is still the case in that um, there's Zoom. Uh, you know, you might have Zoom speakers or something, but there's just not the opportunity to meet them afterwards. Necessarily, but there will may well be an opportunity for a Q and A. You know, so if you if that is the case, then being someone that asks a question, you know, really taking the time before the lead up to that that Zoom event or something to really think, okay, what could I ask this person a meaningful question that maybe shows them that you've looked at their body of work, or you know, you maybe you reference something that isn't just you know necessarily the film that they're there to talk about, but is something that they did. You know, years ago or something, but shows that you've had a look at their back catalogue or whatever, and just making that effort. I mean, that will immediately sort of set yourself apart from so many other people. And um, I think another thing is is just to just to really, like I say, foster that passion, foster that excitement, foster that love for animation—the thing that makes you that sets your soul on fire about animation. Never lose sight of that, because sometimes you can with client projects, and you know, when it becomes a job but, and sometimes you need to recharge your batteries and, and, you know, do projects that aren't for money maybe for the other currencies, because it it makes you fall in love with animation again. Um, I'd say that's my, that's the main one. The last one is the main one. Never fall out of love with animation. If you can try and foster that passion.
0: So the, I guess, uh, the three things you can do tonight is one figure out what that thing is that you are really good at and you want to be good at. Number two is find a way to get connected with other people and to, in through that get your voice heard about what you're good at number three is to figure out how to foster your passion and love for animation cool
1: <laughs> and sometimes i should say actually that um, something that i really want to stress is that i it's very easy to assume that people that have found success within whether it's animation or whatever else are because they are doing absolutely everything within their sort of reach to you know find these clients like I said a lot of clients that I got wasn't because I was you know applying for jobs left right and center and every single day it was just these chance encounters um, I was definitely in the, the sort of position where um, I was worried that you know other people were much better than I was and you know that I wasn't ever going to sort of reach that. Why can't I be doing what they're doing or whatever? And you may well feel like, you know, oh, Will's doing stuff for Tom Scott, you know, what am I doing wrong? Things will sort of, you know, align, the stars will align for you potentially at some point. Like I said, it's about sort of using those to your best um, advantage, but it's also helping you to see that someone else that has got those projects, it doesn't mean that they're, you know, they're definitely more gifted than you or or you're doing something wrong or right i need to you know really sort of do everything i can possible to reach as many people as possible and then you just burn out and like i say lose that fire in your soul that made you love animation in the first place i also to make sure that i um you know still enjoy it still love it and still have that passion for it that involves taking time off it it involves you know really doing the best you can to keep yourself well and that is even more so for me because of my cystic fibrosis making sure that I'm you know having good exercise routines and mental I've burnt out a few times mentally and it's a horrible experience and you know I feel like every time I every time that has happened I've come away from it with a lot more understanding of my mental health and a lot more understanding of this, the triggers that uh, you know to avoid and when i know that something's taking over and so this new project learn with will i'm approaching it in a different way to stuff that i've done in the past where not setting myself to enormous expectations and really trying to you know take every day as it comes because otherwise you are just gonna i've fallen out of love with animation before but actually that happening has made falling back in love with it all the, all the more sweeter so
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, I, I like, I think a common theme throughout our chat has been kind of the luck of things. And when you said, when you're looking at other people's successes and the clients they work with, they're just getting as lucky as you are with your things. I think it's more about pursue the thing you want and the opportunities uh, and put yourself out there with the opportunities that come in your way. Maybe your goal is to work at Pixar and maybe somebody who works there, their goal wasn't to work at Pixar just to be amazing storyboard artist, And then Pixar hired them because their goal was to be an amazing storyboarder based on the opportunities. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's, a, it, it's clearly a common theme in, in everybody I chat with, but I really like how you put it over, you know, talking about your journey and career and, and definitely, you know, with the burnout and the falling in love and, and taking breaks and stuff, I think that's important too. So- I think also
1: just, it's, it's also just one, one last tiny thing is that it's, it's sort of about being honest with yourself about what you want and, and being okay open to change and maybe you do get that dream job and it's not your dream in the end like it's it's actually this isn't what I thought it was going to be and, and that's okay that's it's you know you haven't failed or you haven't sort of just because your childhood dream didn't turn out the way it did I mean my uncle for example is a storyboard artist for films and tv and stuff but he started off as an animator as an in-betweener for Who Framed Roger Rabbit and um he was he did all the you know he did in-betweens for Jessica Rabbit and he that that taught him a lot but the main thing it taught him is that he never wanted to do that ever again because he hated it it was such such a slog but then he got into becoming a successful storyboard artist so you know you may get that dream job and you may have worked for 10 years or something like that put things in motion to get that dream job you get it and it's just not what you expected or whatever. Um, so that's okay. That's, that's all right. Just being honest with yourself about, do I really want this anymore? Because sometimes that may change and that's also healthy and totally fine.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point too. Um, yeah, (laughs) well, (laughs) well, thank you. Thank you for all those good points. (laughs) Uh, well, thank you for coming on the podcast as well. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing about your journey and, uh, You know, I've liked all the little bits of wisdom you've put in throughout and especially I really, I really enjoyed the six currencies because I think Mm. you put that in such a succinct way. So yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Yeah. And if you're listening and you want to follow Will or get in touch with him, uh, you can do so by checking out his Instagram or his website, or also the recently launched Learn with Will. And I'm going to include links to all of these in the description of this chat. So please check them out. And that's all for now. So thanks so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.